Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, movie fans. Thanks for tuning in. Nikki Starr and I have another special treat for you today. You will be hearing the audio version of Chapter One from It Had to Be Us, a romantic memoir by Harry and Elizabeth Lawrence. This chapter deals with two important Christmases for a couple who were divorced and estranged from each other for almost 20 years. The voices belong to lovely Lizette Amato Bettinger and the late great George Bettinger. The story begins back in the mid-1990s. So listen to Chapter 1, and if you want to know the ending of the story, order the e-book on Amazon, or watch the award-winning movie version titled Cake, a Love Story, available now on Amazon Prime. But be sure to stay for a medley of love songs that follows the Chapter 1 presentation. The wonderful singers are Tony Babino, Alice Bay, Richard Vernon, and Lucy Arnaz. And now, here's Chapter 1. Sarcastically, so what's new? 
I see she is taken back by my remark because of the remainder of one of her problems. I wish I hadn't said that. I never want to hurt her again. Oh, sure, she is concerned about the family. Her words do not seem true to me. Obviously, her career and persona are still most important things in her life. On my way home, I can't stop thinking of her and the way we were. The pain of seeing her again is devastating. Elizabeth remembers. Claire told me she asked her dad to come over on Christmas morning. She wondered if I would mind since I planned to stay all night at her house on Christmas Eve. I said, no, not at all. But the same old anxiety came over me anyway. What would Harry think of me after all these years? What would we talk about? Would I get a hug? But not necessarily in that order. I got up at the ridiculous hour of 4 a.m. to dress and put on makeup so I wouldn't look so bad when he arrived. He showed up around 8.30 in the morning. Hi, how are you, he asked, followed by, what are you doing now? I explained I was working long hours each day at my new job as a college vice president, to which he replied, oh, just like you always did. That hurt, but it gave me something to think about. While I was alone in the kitchen for a short time before he left, Harry came into the room and said, Never forget, Elizabeth, you're a survivor. Because he seemed so caring and dear at the moment, I knew he regretted his earlier harsh comment. I just had to hug him, and that one embrace warmed my heart as nothing had for 19 long years. I couldn't help remembering our good times together. I thought about how much I loved being close to him and about the tears I shed when he left me. During one of our last conversations before we parted, I remember telling him I thought we would never hug again. I would die. To be honest with myself, I couldn't figure the bad times either. I recall the night I admitted myself to an alcoholism treatment facility. Ironically, it was on St. Patrick's Day, not exactly the day I usually celebrated one of my favorite holidays. Harry had gone to the dog races. I refused to participate in He refused to participate in the program with me, claiming he couldn't get in touch with his feelings. This devastated me. I knew he was codependent and needed help too. It also reinforced my low opinion of myself because of my drinking weight gain and what I thought was the loss of Harry's love. I felt so alone. After the divorce, I was vulnerable and married again too, too quickly, and on the rebound. I know now this was not fair because I still had such strong feelings for Harry. However, my excessive guilt motivated me to try to make the best of a bad situation I went into a kind of a trance-like existence in which I was easily manipulated. I repressed so much in order to survive. March 1994, Harry remembers. I hear from Elizabeth in March in a card expressing sympathy about the death of my mother who passed away in February. Because it's signed regards Elizabeth, I feel hurt by such coldness. 
My love for this woman has destroyed all my relationships with others these many years, so I harbor a deep resentment that she can go on as if nothing had happened in the years we were together. Oh, well, I have a good life. I play golf with my friends every day, watch television every night, and have all the money I need. No problem. Christmas Day, 1994, Elizabeth remembers. Again this year, my daughter told me she had invited her dad over for Christmas morning, and this time I really look forward to seeing him. But he didn't arrive until close to noon. Did he think I would have gone by then? When he came in, we were all playing Scrabble. He looked so good to me, but I was very worried about the scars on my face from a recent skin cancer surgery and how I would look to him. Later, he offered to take me back to my sister Bridget's house since our daughter was busy with Christmas obligations. While driving to my sister's, Harry told me he still thought I was the greatest person and that he felt that I had been a good part of his life. He even touched my hand at one point. This surprised and delighted me. He said he hoped I had no animosity toward him for the past because of he had suffered from his tunnel vision. When we arrived at my sister's place, he was just going to let me go in alone, but I said, you wouldn't let an opportunity like this go by, would you? We could cause quite a scene here. He agreed immediately, which proved his great sense of humor was still intact. We went inside together, much to the astonishment of everyone. I will be grateful forever to my brother-in-law for asking Harry a question I was not brave enough to ask. Are you still playing the dogs? Greyhounds. Harry answered, only a couple of times a year when Dottie and Will, my sister and brother-in-law, come to visit. That answer was the best Christmas present I could have ever received. It meant one of our major problems from the past was no longer there. It was a Merry Christmas indeed. Harry remembers. I must go to my daughter's home for Christmas, and Elizabeth will be there again. It will be easier to see her this time. I have hardened myself against my feelings for her. I have been so foolish these many years, thinking, hoping she might still care for me. She's a widow now. Could there be something between us again? No way. I tell myself, but uh, no problem. She looks better than last year. It seems she has retired and writes movie reviews. I hope she is happy in taking care of herself. I also can't help wondering if she possesses someone new. No, I don't want to know. When she needs a ride to her sister's, though hesitant, I volunteer. I feel the need to say a few things to her in private. Driving along with Elizabeth, I experience tender feelings for her as well as a hard need to get back to her. I just want you to know how much I admired your accomplishments when we were married, I tell her. She turns her head and smiles sweetly, so I continue. I remember how we used to love going to the movies together. You must really enjoy writing reviews. I want her to realize that at least I haven't forgotten her past. When we arrive at Bridget's house, 
we decide to pretend we are back together again in order to observe the shocked reactions of her sister and brother-in-law. It seems to work, and I feel a closeness with her again. However, while driving home, I reflect that she's given me no recognition of the good times we shared in the past. The end of December 1994, Elizabeth remembers. The next day I wrote Harry a note thanking him for driving me to my sister's and for the nice things he said about me. I also explained that I had no animosity toward him, only good feelings. I suggested that we go to dinner or a movie before I left for California. If he was interested, I indicated he would call me at our daughter's or at my sister's. A couple of days later, he phoned me, and we made arrangements to meet on New Year's Day. When Bridget asked me, what's all this with Harry? I answered, I really don't know. But I did realize it was impossible to hide my excitement and nervousness about our date. Harry remembers. I received a letter from Elizabeth a couple of days after Christmas. She thanked me for taking her to her sisters for the nice things I said to her. It was signed, Fondly Elizabeth. I decided to call her about dinner and movie suggestion, knowing I can come up with some excuse later. But then I think that Fondly, hmm, she signed her, her note. Oh, what the hell? I'll go. New Year's Day, 1995. Harry remembers. On New Year's Day, we go to dinner in a small Italian restaurant. She looks so beautiful across from me. I think to myself, this will be our last meeting. She will go back to Los Angeles and marry someone else. Again, I will not have to see her anymore. Maybe if she did remarry, my love for her would finally die. However, the thought of her being with someone else again is unbearable. We discuss our two children and how loving they are with our grandchildren. We agree the hectic environment that they were raised in has not affected them severely. Elizabeth reveals to me a considerable tax problem that she can't resolve. At first, I find it hard to understand how a person with a salary like hers get, get, can get into such trouble with taxes. Then I remember how she used to borrow secretly from loan companies to pay tuition for students who couldn't afford to college. Still, up to her old tricks, probably. When we order dinner, I find out that she is now a vegetarian and ask crudely, are you in some kind of a California cult? I get an explanation, but I don't understand. She some, says something about not eating anything once had a face. <laughs> and then talks about various allergic reactions to all things. After dinner, we go to a movie. The comedy Dumb and Dumber seems appropriate for our situation. I want to hold her hand. This was something we always did during a movie, but I can't make the move. It would be like a promise I couldn't keep, and worse still, it might be rejected. Hearing Elizabeth's laughter in the movie makes me feel so good. After the movie, I want to take her someplace where we could lie down and just hold her for a while. Of course, I could not ask for that. That night, she tells me plans to leave on Friday. Her sister will be taking to her to La Junta to catch the train back to Los Angeles. I think about asking her to let me take her down the night before so she can avoid the long drive on her departure day. 
Of course, my plan is to spend the night with her. However, I always love that aura of innocence in her personality that manifests itself in her trust of people, so I cannot ask her for what I believe would be a one-night stand. No problem. After all, my life is just fine now. I play golf every day with my friends, watch television, and have all the money I need. Elizabeth remembers. After treating the family to a New Year's brunch at the Holiday Inn, I went back to Bridget's house to rest and to get ready for dinner and a movie with Harry. It was hard to think of anything else the entire day. Even though I needed a nap desperately, I had stayed up all night at my daughter's to celebrate New Year's Eve. I couldn't sleep. Our dinner was delicious, but Harry seemed a bit upset over my vegetarianism and allergies. The movie, Dumb and Dumber, left a lot to be desired, but it was such fun to laugh again. I was disappointed when Harry didn't hold my hand during the movie, but afterwards, he was very solicitous to my footing in the snow and took my arm several times to steady me. It felt good. On the way back to my sister's, I suggested he might like to visit me in California sometime. I said he could sleep upstairs in my condo, and I would sleep on the couch downstairs. He shocked me with, I don't think I like those sleeping arrangements. I was speechless. Then he said, well, I suppose all the romance is over anyway. I composed myself a little and replied, it's never too late for romance. When I got to the door, I parodied a line from the movie we had just seen and teased, well, how about a big hug? He gave me one and made my day. January 3rd, 1995, Elizabeth remembers. To my deep disappointment, I hadn't heard from Harry since our date on New Year's Day. I decided to call him. I thanked him for the dinner, and I said I had a great time. He admitted that he did too and asked me if I was going back to Los Angeles I reminded him that my sister was driving me to La Junta on Friday. I then re-extended my invitation to him to visit, but I felt I was being much too aggressive. I was surprised when he seemed to like the idea. He said he had to finish his carport and some paperwork regarding his mother's estate. Then he would let me know when he could make the trip. I tried not to appear too excited to get my hopes up because I didn't want to be hurt again. Still, I couldn't help thinking of Harry all the rest of the time when I was in Colorado. When Bridget asked me if Harry had a girlfriend, I answered, I don't know. She said, why don't you ask him? I replied, because it's none of my business. But I really wanted to know myself. January 1995, Harry remembers. I receive a letter from Elizabeth thanking me for the dinner and the movie and inviting me out to Los Angeles again. She said I could attend some press screenings with her. The letter was signed, Love, Elizabeth. I interpret the love as a generic form of the word, but I call her anyway. I lie and I say I would love to come out, but I have a lot of responsibilities for the Senior Golf League and can't set a date at this time. In no way would it be possible for me to be in the same house she shared with someone else in the past. 
Knowing I would not go out there, I decided to tease her. I asked what what the living arrangements would be like. She says she would sleep downstairs and I could sleep upstairs. What, no romance, I exclaim? She tells me anything is possible or something like that. I now have a problem. Never know 
verme por un momento feliz. Tu calma y mis venas de amor. you.